welcome to Aletheia Church. Uh, if this is your first time here, uh, my name is Kevin. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're glad that you're here with us uh, this morning. Uh, parents, if you want to, uh, you may dismiss your, your kids now towards the back for um, Aletheia Jr. for the kids' time. Um, and go ahead, and if you have a Bible, uh, turn over to Proverbs chapter 4. That's where uh, we're going to be this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, we would love to just give one to you as a gift. Um, we have plenty of them. We, we want you to have uh, God's Word in your hand. So just raise your hand if you want one. Uh, no strings attached. We just would love to give that to you as a gift so that you have one and you could follow along with us uh, if you feel led. Uh, but last week, uh, I just want to give you a real kind of quick recap. We, we went through the book of James, and then we have a couple weeks until we start a study in the book of Judges in about three weeks. And that, that study in the book of Judges will uh, last the entire fall. And that's kind of what we tend to do here as a church. We, we work through books of the Bible because we want the full counsel of God's Word. I don't want people coming here and just hearing what I might have to say or what Pastor Daniel or Pastor uh, Stephen or Pastor Theo have to say. We want kind of the whole counsel of what God's Word says to us. And so uh, as we take a couple week break, though, before we start into uh, that uh, sermon series in the book of Judges, we, we, we pause and we take time to kind of look at Psalms or Proverbs throughout the summer. That's a pretty frequent rhythm uh, for us as uh, a church. And one of the things I pointed out last week as we were studying uh, the Proverbs together is trying to remember that this book uh, of the Bible is unique compared to many of the other books inside of Scripture. Uh, most of the books inside of the Bible are one kind of large, continuous story um, or narrative or thought or uh, method of communication to a particular group of people. And so when we look at Proverbs, though, we see that instead it is a collection of wisdom and principles that Solomon is trying to pass on to his, his sons. And I said last week, and I'm going to remind you guys again this morning, that everything we read inside of the book of Proverbs needs to kind of be centered around this idea of wisdom being founded on this concept called fear of the Lord. That's something that, that Solomon says very early on in Proverbs chapter 1, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. And that, that is something that can kind of get lost in translation for us as most of us being native English speakers, because that idea of fear is not necessarily the fear you might have after watching a scary movie or uh, the anxiety that you fear uh, getting ready to enter into a big job interview or taking a large test or wh whatever it might be. It's not that type of fear. That The type of fear that Solomon is referring to here is a proper understanding, knowledge, and application of who God really is. Like fully knowing the power, majesty, and magnitude of God and then rightly responding to that with reverence and awe, which would include some level of fear, knowing that if the God of the universe chose at any point in time to just end everything, he could. And so when we see this, right, what we're, what we're noticing is Solomon trying to get his son prepared for life. 
He knows eventually his time as king of Israel is going to come to an end. And so he writes down this collection of wisdom and sayings to pass on to his son, his grandsons, his great-grandsons, all of his children, so they might properly navigate life the same way that he did. And so I want you to go ahead and look at just verse 20 with me of Proverbs chapter 4. Look at what he says. He says, my son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Now, some theologians and, and biblical scholars over the years have actually broken down the book of Proverbs into sections that they call paternal appeals. And what they mean by that is in these various sections, there's a particular appeal or thing that Solomon wants the reader to notice as they read through that section of Scripture. And so some examples of these paternal appeals would be things like, don't join with greedy people for unjust gain. He spends an entire section talking about doing business in a way that is wise and that is also honoring to God and honest. And he, he warns that the folly of what happens to those who do business and join with those that are untrustworthy in work and business. He has another section entirely entitled, and this is early on in the book of Proverbs, of just the importance of gathering or getting wisdom. And then the last one that we might look at is this idea of wisdom is a tradition worth maintaining. And that is what you kind of see in the first half of Proverbs chapter four, is Solomon is writing to his son and he's saying, look, everything that I've been sharing with you and everything that I'm going to share with you for here on out is not me wasting my time. That the wisdom you're gaining from me and from your mother is worth maintaining throughout your entire life. And this appeal that we see starting in verse 20 is a shift in what kind of the theological breakdown of this book is, but it's called maintaining a heart of wisdom. So if the first half is this idea of continuing in the tradition of wisdom, the, the idea in these last seven or eight verses is this idea of living a life in light of understanding that wisdom and making it a value and something that you pursue. You know, the ESV study Bible uh, had a really great quote that I want to share with you guys on this particular section. He says, they say this, this appeal consists primarily of imperatives that encourage the son to attend to wise instruction and guard wisdom's presence in his heart. Right, what we're going to see in these verses is Solomon reminding his son that just because you have wisdom or you've been taught or you know, doesn't mean that if you don't guard it and hold on to it, you won't become a fool. That it is easy to know the right thing to do and still find yourself falling into patterns in your life where you ignore even the own thing that you desire to do. And I want us to look at what Solomon had said to his son in the first nine verses of Proverbs chapter four, so we can have a little bit of an understanding of what we're heading into. Starting at verse one, he says, Hear, O son, so he's writing to multiple children here, 
a father's instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom and get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place you on your head, a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And so there's kind of three things that you'll notice throughout those nine verses. But what we see is that Solomon's trying to impart to his children this idea of the importance of what his own father had taught him. Right? He's saying, hey, everything I'm sharing with you, a lot of it is what I had gained from my own father. A lot of it was wisdom passed down to me by my father and his father before him, which was a love and fear of the Lord. And then he's saying, if you, once you get to verse four, he's saying, the reason I'm writing all this down and I'm sharing this with you is it is the responsibility of us as human beings to pass this wisdom on from generation to generation. And then when he gets to verse six, he says that gaining that wisdom and holding on to it leads to generational blessing. He's saying, hey, our, our family has followed God and followed after him and followed the wisdom right, of David and now the wisdom that I'm passing on to you. And it has been generationally a blessing both to our family, but also to Israel, who we have the privilege and the calling to lead as kings. Right? He wants them to understand that the task that's been left to them or will be left to them once he passes will be to lead God's people with honesty and integrity. And he knows the importance of following after these words to be able to do that successfully and with blessing. And that brings us to our text this morning in verses 20 through 27 that Kiara read for us earlier. And we've got three points in this appeal to maintaining a heart of wisdom that Solomon wants us to see. The first one is this. There's a great need for humility and teachability from wiser men and women in our lives. The second one is that we're called to guard our heart and put away crooked actions. And then the third one will be a call or an encouragement to remain steadfast in the wisdom that God has given us. So look back over at verse 20. Let's just look at a couple verses here and unpack this first point, the need for humility and teachability from wiser men and women. And when I say that, I mean, I mean that throughout the course of our lives, that there's always a need to be learning and growing and receiving the teaching of those that might have something to give us. Look at what he says in verse 20. 
says, my son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Some of you guys might know, but when I was a, a brand new Christian, uh, my, somewhere in between my sophomore and junior years of college, I, I was really, really fortunate to have two older men take an interest in my life. One was a man by the name of Dan Flynn. He was the director of crew uh, at the university that I attended. And the other one was my pastor, and his name was Dave Prophet. And, and both men were significantly older than me. They had been in ministry full-time for decades. Um, they'd been married for decades. Uh, they had successfully raised children. Uh, Dave had grandkids at this point, and, and Dan had kids heading off to college. And, and at that time, you could kind of see that they had successfully navigated life. And for me, kind of from an outside perspective, looking in and, and kind of going through this like kind of radical transformation of the mind, right? I kind of thought to myself, well, these guys seem to have done a lot of things that I hope to do one day, to, to have a wife, to have a family, to successfully navigate those things, to have a career and to try to do those things well. And as they took an interest in me and spent time with me and worked through things with me and corrected me as I needed corrections, both of them have had an impact on my life, maybe even far greater than, than they would realize. Their, their impact, the things they taught me, the, the things they shared with me, the things that they, they imparted to me as I just watched them from a distance live their lives, they discipled me. They invested in me. Sometimes it was intentional, like meeting for coffee or going out for a meal, but sometimes it was coming over to their house and helping do things around the house and just watching the way they interacted in life or watching the way they interacted in their vocation. And their impact affects me to this day. It affects my wife. It affects my children. And in many ways, it affects this church as I and the other elders of the church seek to lead it as one of the pastors here. Which brings us back to the point that I think Solomon's trying to get across to us, his readers here in these first couple of verses. See, Solomon is trying to get us to see that it is a privilege and something we should take seriously to have someone invest in us that we should take that investment seriously. And not only should we take that investment seriously, but we should actually desire to be invested in and to invest in others. You know, my grandfather used to say to me, and, and you know, my grandfather had a profound impact on my life as well. Uh, Jackie can attest to that because I have all sorts of kind of like dumb old man sayings that I use all the time around here. And she'll be like, where did that come from? I was like, well, it's from my grandfather. And he used to say it to me all the time. And one of the things he used to always say to me, he called me Boo. And he'd say, Boo, this is whenever I was doing something stupid or refusing to listen to his teaching on something. You don't know what you don't know. And then you just walk away. Wouldn't say anything else. He just, and basically, this is what he was saying. You're stupid and you're refusing to learn, right? What, what Solomon is trying to get his son to see here 
is there's great wisdom in being attentive and listening to what others who have been in the place that you've been before have to say. And once they're investing in you, teaching in you, pouring into you, he says, don't let what they've taught and imparted to you escape you. Keep them in mind as you plan the course of your life, as you make decisions, and as you walk and navigate both the highs and lows that life will inevitably bring you. This means that the posture of any follower of Jesus should look both teachable and humble. You know, I think one of the most disappointing things that, that and being a pastor that I think I get confronted with a lot is I'll introduce myself to somebody or, or we'll meet people in our neighborhood and they'll ask what I do and I'll tell them I'm a pastor. And then it's three weeks of trying to break down walls because they think I'm going to like be just really weird around them. And I am weird, but not the kind of weird that I think they're expecting. Right? And as I've talked to a lot of like neighbors and, and, and people in my life over the course of the years, many of them non-Christians who, when they first come in contact with me, I'll ask them once our relationships kind of advanced over the years, like, hey, like, I kind of felt like you were weirded out by me and standoffish. And then you realized that like I was normal and liked sports and, you know, had kids and we weren't doing lots of weird stuff with them all the time so that you could let your kids hang out with mine or whatever. Like what, what kind of like made you so standoffish early on? They're like, well, honestly, you know, Kevin, most of the time when I interact with Christians, especially pastors, my interactions with them haven't been really great. And it's because they talked down to me the whole time and they treated me like they were superior to me. And I just, I don't really like that. And so I'm kind of standoffish. And I think what Solomon is, is trying to get across to his son, his son who, who, by the way, is going to be the king of God's people, is people, especially those in positions of leadership, should never stop learning and should maintain an attitude and a posture of teachability and humility. And when you don't, that's where the trouble starts. You see, this is a lost art in our day. I truly believe that. I think like culturally, we live in a time period where displaying characteristics of teachability and humility are maybe given lip service as values that we appreciate in people, but not necessarily something we actually elevate. Like the teachable, humble person doesn't get the most clicks on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. I don't have TikTok, so I don't know how that works. Right? But you'll notice, right, it's usually, right, the people that, are opinionated, abrasive, talkative, harsh, stiff and rigid in their positions. Those are the ones that tend to get elevated and it doesn't matter what side of the worldview aisle you come from, both sides do this. 
But Jesus says to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew that if we're going to truly follow him, that there's a calling placed on our lives to be salt and light to the world around us. And what that means is, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus in this room this morning, Jesus calls you to be different. He actually calls you to live a life that looks different than the ones around you. And how amazing might it be, right, if we as a generation of of followers of Jesus made a commitment to say, you know what, we're going to take the words of Solomon seriously here. We're going to be teachable. We're going to be willing to learn. We're going to be humble, willing to be corrected and not assume that we know it all. And with that, we're going we're gonna to answer the calling to be invested in and to invest in others in a way that loves and makes much of Jesus. You know, I think if we did that, I think, I think God might just do something crazy like he did with, with David's family and Solomon's family. I think we might experience generational blessing. And, and what I mean by that, right, because when you start talking about that term blessing, right, right, immediately what runs to mind is that we're going to have the best job, the best house, the best car, right? Uh, we're going to have celebrity status. People are going to love us, right? You, wh- whatever your, your dream or, or picture of what that might be, right? But when, when we talk about blessing, right, we're, we're talking about purpose and identity. We're talking about at the end of the day, knowing hey, the, the way I'm living my life, my conscience is clear because I've loved others well and I've honored the Lord. That's what it means to be blessed. And it might lead to what we would consider to be suffering or persecution, but ultimately at the end of the day, we know that we would be following the pattern of wisdom that Solomon calls us to maintain, which is one of teachability and humility. You know, in the, in the previous nine verses leading up to, to, to these few words here that Solomon gives, right? Solomon basically lays out for his sons and he says, really in life, there are only two paths. One path is the path of wisdom and one is the way of folly. The way of folly means to to be led in what seems right to you and and to do what seems best, to grab the attention of others and to be ruled by fear of man. And what that ultimately leads to, as he promises there, is pain. He says the other path is the way of wisdom. It means being led to the word of God. It means laying down your own rights and prerogatives and preferences at times, but that the promise of those who go in the way of wisdom is life. And I don't know about you guys, but as I live my life, and you know, I'm in my, in my mid to late 30s, Jackie reminds me all the time I'm closer to 40 than I am to 30. Thank you, honey. The one thing I've noticed, right, time and time again, that humility and gratitude and a 
a posture of learning has led to a lot more fruit and joy in my life than haughtiness, pride, and knowing it all. And look, this is coming from a guy who loves a good debate. Right, Jackie was just telling the story the other night of a time that I took the side of a debate I didn't even believe in so that I could enter into a debate with somebody. And Jackie came into the debate like an hour in, probably, and stopped it and looked to the guy, the young man in our church at the time he was leading worship, and just said to him, you know, he doesn't even believe what he's fighting for, right? The look on the guy's face was fascinating. He's like, he's like, yeah, you were just so stuck in your position. I felt like you needed to be pushed on a little bit. But I actually agree with you. But do you get the point I was trying to make earlier? Right. Someone that loves debate and wrestles with pride, the promise that God gives us here is that if we want to experience joy and wisdom and pursuit of God that comes from a posture of humility and teachability, especially from those who have been there before us. Right, so this first call that he gives his son is to pursue wisdom through humility and teach ability. The next point he's going to make is that we're called to guard our heart and put away crooked actions. Look at verses 23 and 24 with me. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. You know, sometimes a, a change of heart or mind will lead to a change of action in your life. While other times, a change of action will lead to a change of your heart or your mind towards that thing. Let me give you an example. Some, some years ago, I was in a pretty unhealthy season in my life, probably physically, emotionally, and spiritually. There was like a, a number of things culminating uh, towards that, um, but just was not healthy in many ways. And, you know, and you know, Jesus makes it pretty clear, you know, when his disciples ask him what, he, what they should do, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, that God tends to care about health and like not just spiritual health, but like a holistic picture of who we are, right? And I would say like in that season, I was maybe doing one of those well and not, not the other ones. And so it kind of got to this point where I was like, you know what? I'm like 35, 40 pounds heavier than I'm supposed to be. I, I, I've got to make some changes. So we're going to start there. We're going to start with the physical and we're, we're just going to make some changes. And that led to some changed actions. It, it led me to not eat whatever I want whenever I wanted to do it. It led me to cut out a number of foods that, uh, and, and it was hard, right? But the change of mind and the change of heart of like, hey, I can't continue to live this way, right? And say that I'm pursuing God in the way that he's asked me to, right? I have to make some changes. And so the actions changed in my life, but it, it, but it wasn't easy, right? Like changing those actions was really difficult because I had months and years of, of poor kind of health habits that had been practiced over and over and over again repetitively to the point where they were habits for a reason. But one of the things I found once I hit about like month three to month six of starting to change these habits is that over time, the change of action 
actually led to a change of mind and a change of desire in my own heart, right? Like, so like kind of a funny example, right? But growing up, I loved Taco Bell. And like when I say loved Taco Bell, with like my, big, my, my deepest desire was to like be in a commercial for them one day, free of charge. Just like, hey, just set me in front of a camera, interview me, and you will make money. Because I love your cheesy gordita crunch and your Crunchwrap Supreme and all your delicious eats. I will just talk about how amazing it is. You don't even need to pay me. Right? I'm just going to tell you how great Taco Bell is. Okay. For, for those of you guys in here that like Taco Bell, right, I'm going to say something that probably doesn't come as a shock to you. Their food's not great for you. And what's happened over the course of time as I began eating more healthy, as I started taking care of myself or whatever else, that food actually kind of makes me feel physically ill. Don't put me in a Taco Bell commercial at this point, by the way, right? Right? What happens, right, is that as God changes your mind, as you start pursuing wisdom, right, and you see the fruit of that wisdom, right? The desires are changed and you see the fruit of blessing and the desire to run back to the old things just not there anymore, right? And Solomon's point here to his son is sometimes we're called to work on placing our mind and our desires in line with the words that Solomon is sharing or, or in line with the word of God, and it might go against our instinct or where our desire is, but we say, well, I know that God's word and God's way is right, and my way is not leading to the type of fruitfulness and blessing that I want to experience. So I'm going I'm to tell myself, that's the wrong way. I'm going to walk the other way towards what God has called. And so you work on changing your actions to be in line with the words of wisdom. But sometimes... The beauty of what God does in us is as we align ourselves with his word and we experience the blessing that comes from following him, you'll find that the desires change and they run after the things of God and the wisdom of God rather than the wisdom of man. But Solomon's point to his son here is that you have to guard that or otherwise you are at risk of running back to the things that got you on the wrong path to begin with. He says here to guard your heart and put away crooked speech. And it may seem kind of odd, like of all the things for him to say to his son, right? He doesn't tell him like, hey, manage your finances well, or pick the right leaders as king, or make sure you marry the right woman, right? And these are all things that he does say throughout the book. But no, he just makes his, in talking about a crooked heart, right, or guarding your heart, he says that kind of the first thing that we need to watch is our speech. You might find that fascinating, right? But if you look at what Jesus says in Matthew 15, it actually makes a ton of sense. Look, look at what Jesus says. You know, he's sitting there and, and he's been talking with his disciples about what defiles a person and the, the, the ceremonial law and, and what makes a person clean or unclean. And look at what he says starting in verse 18. He says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. 
For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. See, our speech shows some things about us. It ultimately indicates what we ultimately love and serve. And it should cause us to pause and reflect, and if necessary, confess and repent and apologize and turn when we need to. Because I can speak from experience that most conflict that arises in my marriage centers around my speech, which centers around a selfish posture in my own heart to start. Usually when I speak harshly or rudely to my wife, it's because I perceive that I'm being inconvenienced or wronged in some way, shape, or form. And therefore the posture of my heart is one of selfishness and conceit, And all that's happening is my speech is what's displaying what's going on internally. And the wisdom that Solomon is trying to get across to us is if we are attentive to God's word and the instruction of others, then we must guard our hearts, which means putting a restraint on the way we speak to others. Right, for me personally, sometimes that's just shutting up. It's like, yeah, like don't even trust yourself to talk, just be quiet. Sometimes our actions will adjust because our heart has been changed. And at other times, we'll pursue what God's word has said, not because we want to, but because we, we know and trust that it is right. But the promise of God's word to us here is that the actions will lead to change as well. And that will help us to maintain a heart and a posture of wisdom that will lead to honoring God and lifelong blessing. And so we seek wisdom humbly for others. We guard our heart and our actions, pursuing God's way. And lastly, right, we see the third call, remain steadfast in the wisdom of God. Look at verses 25 through 27 with me. He said, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left, but turn your foot away from evil. You know, basically, right here, here's Solomon kind of finishing up this charge to his son. Right? He's like, hey, I want you to maintain a posture of wisdom and fidelity towards God your entire life. That's my desire for you. He's like, but you need to know what your purpose is. He says, you know, these, in these last three verses, he's, he says to his son, he, he's encouraging him, right? He's like, focus on the goal and purpose of life laid before you, right? For his sons, that's going to be to pursue God, to honor God, 
to lead Israel with integrity and to love God's people, to pass down wisdom to future generations, to take care of the lowly and the oppressed, to try to avoid conflict with other nations, and to point Israel towards God as well. Right, those were kind of like the calls of the king of Israel's lives, right? They, they should know what their goal in life is. He's saying to them, keep your eyes on what you've been called to do. Know the way to get there and then keep pursuing it. Right, basically what, what he's, he's trying to get them to realize is it's really, really easy how many of you guys have ever seen the movie Up? Right? Oh, wow, good majority of the room. Great movie, by the way. Right? All right. So the, there's this moment in that movie that my kids die laughing at every time. And it's because when I look at it, it's like they're making fun of dogs, but really human beings are like that as well. Right? Whenever they see a squirrel, what happens to the dogs? Right? Right? They like, they're like immediately, whatever they're focused on, whatever they're doing, their like gaze just like turns really fast and they stop what they're doing, right? What Solomon's trying to get across to his son is, hey, you might know what your goal or your purpose is, but you're like that dog that gets distracted by a squirrel, that as human beings, we get distracted by so many things that pull our gaze and our attention and our focus and our life's work away from what we actually even state we might want it to be. Like very, very few Christians have I ever met and I asked them like, hey, what, what do you want out of your life? Like most of them don't say, I want to dishonor God and do whatever I want. It's just not, it's like never heard that. In 15 years of ministry, never once heard uh, someone that claimed to be a follower of Jesus is like, yeah, I am not interested in following or listening to God at all. I don't even know why I'm here. Right, most of the time they're like, yeah, I want to love God. I want to love others. Right? I want to do what, I'm going to do what God asks us to do. And yet so regularly, right, if you examined your own life and your own heart and you thought, am I doing that well? What would the answer be? Right, Solomon says it's because we're far too easily distracted away from the goal that God has called us to whether it's pursuing our own fame, pursuing some sort of luxury, pursuing some sort of idol, whatever that may be, that our gaze turns. And he says to his sons, keep your eyes on the goal. Know the way to get there and keep pursuing it. Do not look for the easy way out. He calls that looking right or left or going for the way of evil. He says, or you will stumble. which inevitably, right, brings us up to this question, right? What, what's the plan, right? What are we called to pursue? What is, what is your goal? What is, what is our goal? What is our purpose? Let's submit this to you here this morning, whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ are you here because someone drug you here or you don't even know why you're here? Solomon says in Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, he says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
fools despise wisdom and instruction. God created all of us. He set the universe in motion. And with that, his deepest desire for you moving forward is to know wisdom the way in which Solomon knew wisdom by knowing him. And in knowing him, following him, obeying him, and living for him. Turn over to John chapter 17. That's where we're going to finish this morning. John 17, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Wisdom comes from knowing God and following after him. If you, you're here this morning, you're like, oh, I want wisdom. I want to be wise. Start with God. Start with getting to know him. Read your Bible. Pray. If you don't know where to start, ask somebody. Right? Someone would love to help you. It's kind of that first point to be humble and teachable. Right? Just ask somebody. Right? They might not have all the answers, but they might have some. But start by getting to know Jesus. And then as you get to know him, continue to pursue after him by being humble, by being taught, right? by being discipled. Right? Guard your heart in that pursuit. Right? Be accountable to being called back to God's way when you're not. To repent when necessary and receive the forgiveness and mercy that comes from Christ. And then remain steadfast in pursuing that goal. You know, we're going to celebrate 10 years as a church in March of 2023, and I'm really excited about that. You know, and, and over the years, one of the things that, that has, has been true of pastoral ministry is there have been a lot of highs and there have been some really low lows, like lots of, lots of high mountain peaks and lots of valleys. And some of you guys have been here for a lot of them. But the one thing that I'm so proud of this church for, when I say this church, I'm talking about you guys, is that the goal all along has been to make much of Jesus and to see others 
come to know him. To fix our eyes and our gaze on him because he's worthy. I want to finish by sharing a, a, a statement from my, my friend Dan Flynn, who I mentioned to you guys earlier. He used to always give this talk at the first uh, uh, large group gathering for our crew movement at the beginning of every, every year. And at the end of this talk, he would pull out a baseball. <laughs> and he would talk about how much he loved that baseball. He was a big baseball guy, and he had caught it uh, at a game one time, and he was super, super excited about it. And he's like, you know what, though, as much as I love this baseball, and when I look at it, I love it. It's a cherished memory for me, right? It's nothing better than knowing Jesus. He goes, and if you play baseball, right, when you're hitting or when you're pitching or when you're catching or when you're fielding, right, what do they always tell you to do in baseball? Keep your eye on the ball, right? Like my, my youngest son right now, he's decided that he wants to play baseball. I don't know why. His dad has no idea. Like I'm not a good baseball player. When I played in Little League, I batted below 200. That's really bad for those of you guys that don't know. It's like pathetically bad, right? Terrible. And like, and like here I am in my backyard, like he's like, dad, how do I do it? And I'm like, <laughs> right? But I do know one thing, right? Because I remember this from what they were trying to get to me when I was a kid. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball, right? Less bad things happen when you keep your eye on the ball. And Dan would say that over and over again. He'd say, and then he'd look at us and he'd say, keep your eye on the ball. Jesus is the ball. If you want to walk through life with wisdom, right, with integrity and in blessing, keep your eye on Jesus because he's the true prize and treasure of this life.